The Sanctuary, a community of Jesus people promoting the glory of God in all things to all nations through gospel-centered missional living. Whether it be working with groups in Africa to build orphanages and help rid the continent of AIDS, or feeding the hungry, giving to the oppressed, and helping the hurting who live in our own community, The Sanctuary invites you to be part of a culture of passionate service. You can change your world. Be inspired. Join the movement. so much for that. Um, man, oh, it's so good to be here. Um, my name is Matt Prine. If you don't know me, that's a good thing. That means that the church is growing. Um, I was on staff here uh, for a little bit, um, and uh, what I'd tell you is if you're a visitor, you don't need to go anywhere else. Just come here. Uh, it's an unbelievable church, unbelievable people, unbelievable family, so I am glad to be here. Uh, we just got back from Uganda. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> unbelievable experience. Um, I would tell you that if you have a sponsored child there, you need to go. Um, You need to go and you need to meet that child. You need to spend some time with that child. And you need to meet the people of Uganda. I think probably the most impactful moment for me um, actually didn't have anything to do with uh, any of the children at the school or any of the teachers or even anybody at the the church, but um, our driver. Um, We have been using the same driver for about five years, and his name is Steve. And Steve is funny, but he's quiet. And um, the last night he was driving us around, um, and and I have to mention, he is a non-believer. I think he was raised in a Muslim family. Um, But the last night we were driving around with him, and uh, we get back to the the place, and everybody's offloading off the bus. And he said, Pastor Matt, wait just a minute. Okay. And uh, I was like, well, maybe he wants the money for that evening. So I was counting out the money, and uh, he takes, he says, thank you. And he says, I have something for you. I have a gift for you. Like, you got me a gift, Steve. That's, that's awesome. Uh, so he hands me a gift, and I'm, I'm just floored by the fact that he had given me something. And then uh, I turn to walk off the bus, um, and he says, no, no, Pastor Matt. I said, yeah. And he said, I love you so, so much. <laughs> And I was like, oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing in the world. I opened the, the gift, and it is a Uganda soccer jersey, and he has had it personalized where it says, Pastor, get this, Pastor Matty, M-A-T-T-I. Um, <laughs> so there's a Uganda jersey in there, and there's an apple. There's an apple. And I was like, well, that's interesting. And I got home, and I was telling my mom about it, and she reminded me, apples are unbelievably rare in Uganda. And so the, the gift that he gave me was so precious and such an amazing thing. Um, so what I would tell you, just to kind of encourage you, first of all, to go to Uganda. Second of all, um, he's getting close to coming to know the Lord. But that's only after driving around with us for five years. And at first he was like, kind of like, I'll just drive you. I'm going to sit on the bus when you get to where you're going um, to I'm going to get out of the bus and watch you to I'm going to be a part of what's going on to now. Um, giving gifts and, and talking about how he's trying to follow the Lord, um, which was part of the conversation I had with him after that. So it was very, very cool. Um, so anyway, um, that was amazing. Keep praying for your, your sponsored children and uh, the, the people in Uganda. If you are a visitor here with us this morning, I, I want to welcome you. Thank you for being a part of what God's doing here, and I pray that he would speak to you powerfully. Um, typically, we will dismiss our high-five kids. We are not doing that. Um, if you're a high-five kid, first through fifth grade, we have busy bags for you. If you didn't get one of these on the way in, in fact, here, I got one here. Jojo, you have one? There you go, dude. That's all you. Um, those are out in the hallway, so if the kids want to get up and grab one of those, they're welcome to do that. Normally, they're going to go back into the back room and have an amazing time with some amazing leaders who love Jesus and are uh, encouraging them to uh, follow Jesus. So uh, Pastor Joe is out today. He is on vacation. I hope that you're praying for him. Um, just the weight that a pastor bears is so huge, um, and he will not be able to do that without your prayers. Um, So please pray for him, pray for his bride, pray for his family, um, that they would have rest and that they would be drawn closer together in this time, um, and he'll be back uh, next week. 
So we've been walking through this uh, the summer uh, series of the summer soundtrack, and uh, we have been journeying through the book of Psalms, uh, which is arguably the most well-known book in the entire Bible. Um, they've, the Psalms have provided people with comfort for literally thousands of years, and, uh, and, and I believe that part of the reason that uh, this is part of the reason that the Psalms are the most cited uh, book in the New Testament. The New Testament goes back and cites the Psalms more than any other book in the Old Testament. Um, the, the Psalms are raw, and they're real, and they're gritty. Um, they, they capture the essence of human emotion, um, and, and, and uh, they're largely unfiltered, right? So uh, the emotions that are poured out through the Psalms are just kind of like these raw and real. They're not, they're not like censored, it doesn't seem like to me. Um, it, it just feels like that's what... The psalmist was on their heart, and they just said it. Um, and, and what I love most about the psalms is that it gives me permission to feel a certain way. It gives me permission, if I'm uh, uh, upset with God, it gives me permission and honestly a voice to voice that discontentment. Um, it, it helps me to capture these feelings and ultimately offer them up to the Lord. Um, th- they beautifully capture the essence of emotion that, in a way that I personally uh, probably could not put together. And then I read it in the Psalms and I'm going, that's exactly how I feel. We need help to do this. We need help to process through our emotions, through our feelings, through when things go bad, when things go wrong, when we find ourselves in a situation um, that is less than ideal, uh, we have to have a way to process through it in a godly and biblical manner. Otherwise, we will kind of spin off the rails trying to do it on our own. Psalm 46 is where we're going to be today tackles our fears and our troubles head on, um, and it shows us how the Lord is sufficient even in the worst of it. Um, we're, if you don't have your Bibles, we're going to, uh, in the Pew Bibles, I think it's page 276, so you can just open there. Uh, but before we get into that, I have a clip that will kind of illustrate the, uh, how, how, what happens when moments of trouble strike our lives and we try to do it on our own. And just to kind of set the stage for you, uh, our main characters are on a mission across the country. It's of the utmost importance. Um, and on the way, they take a wrong turn, and this could cause cataclysmic uh, problems for their journey. Uh, it could jeopardize the entire mission, um, and they begin to try and rely on their own strength, their own ability to try and make things right. So uh, would you guys throw this up on the screen, please? Baby, so we backtracked a tad. Tad, a tad, Lloyd. You drove almost a sixth of the way across the country in the wrong direction. Now we don't have enough money to get to Aspen. We don't have enough money to get home. We don't have enough money to eat. We don't have enough money to sleep. It's not going to do us any good to sit here whining about it. We're in a hole. We're just going to have to dig ourselves out. Okay, all right, you're right. You're absolutely right, Lloyd. Where are you going? Home. I'm walking home. Oh, well, pardon me, Mr. Perfect. I guess I forgot that you never, ever make a mistake. Got room for one more if you still want to go to Aspen. Where did you find that? Some kid back in town. 
traded the van for it, straight up. I can get 70 miles to the gallon on this hog. You know, Lloyd, just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. And totally redeem yourself! <laughs> you would not believe me if I told you that was Cami Prine's favorite movie now, would you? <laughs> I don't necessarily recommend that movie. You might laugh, but you're probably also going to have to repent. We've all had that kind of moment, right, where we make the wrong turn, things go bad, um, our worlds begin to implode maybe, um, but we've also had those moments where the world really does start to implode, where the thing that we fear most swiftly and brutally uh, influences our lives, asserts itself into our life, and, and it's, that, it's that pink slip at work when you're already struggling financially. It's the rejection that you experience from someone you love uh, turning you away. It's the loss of someone or something precious. It's the diagnosis that you are fearing most. It's the most precious thing in your hand that no matter how tightly you hold it, it's stripped away. See, it's precisely these moments that Psalm 46 uh, becomes very, very beneficial to us. It hits home hard here. Um, and this is why this psalm should be in your playlist, echoing through your heart like the lyrics to a song that you can't get out of your head. That when that time comes, when the pain hits, when the fear strikes, that you're equipped to run to the right place and find comfort and peace that can be found nowhere else. Before we dive in, I want to take a time and I want to pray. And uh, I'm going to ask you to do two things. I want you to pray for yourself, and I want you to pray for me. For yourself, I want you to pray that the Lord would speak to you. And that when he speaks, that you would respond. And I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray that the Lord would speak through me. The idea that a, an eternal God would voice his voice through a person is unbelievable to me. Unbelievable to me. And the fact that my body doesn't just explode into a thousand pieces when that happens is miraculous. Um, I'm praying that doesn't happen. I'd ask you to do that as well. But I'm asking that you would ask the Lord to make the words that come out would be his words, not mine. Okay? So let's take a moment. Let's pray. Pray for yourselves. Ask the Lord to open your heart, to receive his word, to hear what he has to say, and that you'd walk away changed. And now would you pray for me and ask the Lord to speak through me, that he would strike anything from my mouth that's not of him, and that he would be honored by what I say. Father, we thank you for allowing us to gather here today. And Lord, I asked you this morning for your manifest presence to be known here. God, I pray that we would know that you're with us. I don't want to walk away from today kind of going, well, did he show up? God, make yourself known. Open our hearts to your word. Help us to internalize this, to make this ours, God, because you are ours. We are yours. Glorify yourself in this time. Father, we love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So Psalm 46 has been called Luther's Psalm. Uh, it's actually been called Luther's Battle Hymn. Um, and it was the inspiration behind his famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, where he penned these words. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. See, these words in the psalm brought Luther so much peace and so much uh, comfort when the walls were closing in. Luther was a great reformer, um, and he uh, opposed the Catholic Church and the control that they were exerting over the people, um, and he faced incredible opposition because of this. 
Psalm 46 was a huge comfort to him when his friend Leonard Kaiser was burned at the stake for heresy against the Catholic Church. And Luther said this about this psalm, we sing this psalm to the praise of God because he is with us and powerfully and miraculously preserves and defends his church and his word against all fanatical spirits, against the gates of hell, against the implacable hatred of the devil, and against all the assaults of the world, the flesh, and sin. This is a huge statement about the power and about the efficacy of God's word in times of trouble. So as we read through this, my prayer is that you would be uh, clothed with this truth, that this would become a shield for your heart and, and nourishment to your soul, and that you would be equipped to face the worst of hells because of the refu- refuge that you find in him because of his word. So let's read Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, swelling, Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. So I want to talk for a moment about the structure of the psalm. If you're a super nerd, you can go look up what a chiasm is. Uh, this, this psalm is arranged in chiastic form, meaning it kind of bounces back like a ping pong match working towards the center of the psalm. Um, but the, the structure that we're going to talk about today is how it's broken into stanzas. Uh, There are essentially three different stanzas in this psalm. Um, Each one is kind of marked by that that ending word that we heard three times, selah. Uh, Essentially, this word translates to pause, which I think is a moment for us to to stop um, and let the meaning of the previous words that we've just read sink in. Um, When I was reading this, I kind of had this mentality, this image of like a wine tasting. Um, when, you, when you go into a wine tasting, you take a moment to savor the flavors. You don't just take a, a gulp and swallow it. You're going to let the wine wash over your palate, and you're going to try and detect all the different subtle flavors in there. You're going to you know, taste the plum or the oak or kind of the leather undertones or feel how the tannins make your mouth feel. Uh, and, and I feel like with this psalm uh, that the Lord is, is in that moment saying, okay, now stop. Stop and, and consider that. I, I feel like uh, that's what he wants us to do. As, and as we think about it, we're thinking about, well, what does this say? What does this psalm or this uh, stanza say? And, and how was it said? And what does it mean? And what are the ramifications? And then how shall I then live? Selah is the moment where the Lord stops us and he says, did you catch that? Did you see it? Or... Did you just plow through it? I get that your 10 minutes of quiet time is almost up, but did you stop? Because I think my tendency is to just plow through. I get my rhythm that I want to maintain, and I miss it. So I don't want us to miss this. Um, so what are the different stanzas? We're, we're broken into three stanzas. The first one is going to be verses 1 to 3. And the idea is that God is the only true refuge in the worst of situations. The second stanza is going to be verses 4 to 7. Um, essentially that God is unaffected by the storms. And then the third stanza is verses 8 to 11. And this is that God will be exalted. And so we're going to spend a few minutes going through uh, each of the stanzas and we're going to draw out as much as we have time for um, and as much as he will allow. And my prayer is that we would experience the deep, rich flavors of this psalm. So let's start with stanza one, uh, verses one through three. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, 
Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar in foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. As I was reading this psalm, I was struck by the dramatic elements that are presented here. This is a little bit over the top. You think about this. The earth giving way. What does it mean for the earth to give way? Just to disappear from out from under you. That the mountains would be uprooted and hurled into the sea. That the ocean would be pounding against the bank so hard that it would crumble the mountains into pieces. Notice that each of these scenarios challenges what we assume to be basically true. These are some of our standards. These are the things that help us hold on to reality. The ground is a solid thing beneath us, and it's, it's not going to move on us. We know that because that's our experience. Now, if you live in California or the earthquake zones, I don't know. Maybe you understand this a little bit better than me. But this is something that it, it, I think of. I'm like, that's not possible for the earth to just give way underneath me. Um, the mountains being tossed into the ocean. These are massive, immovable uh, structures. They cannot be moved, right? They much less be thrown into the sea like there are some small pebble. The ocean, while powerful, cannot roar powerfully enough to make mountains break, tremble, shatter into pieces. All of these things are impossibilities, right? So if this happened, if these things happened our realities would begin to crumble. Our realities would shatter. And quite honestly, these moments are moments that are terrifying. These are moments that would strike fear into the heart of anybody. Um, For me, I'd probably require a wardrobe change. Just saying, right? That would freak me out. Uh, that, that challenges what you know to be real. And so to see these things, uh, it is very difficult. But look at what verse 2 says. We will not fear. (laughs) We will not fear, though these things happen. It doesn't say that our fear will be tempered, or that our fear will be lessened, or that our fear will be small, or that whatever. Uh, It says we will not fear. How is this possible? That was the question I asked. I'm like, okay, God, take the earth out from under me. I'm terrified. I don't know how I wouldn't be afraid. But there's a very important word at the beginning of verse 2 that we have to pay attention to. And it's the word, therefore. Whenever you see the word, therefore, or a word like so, or something like that, that is a very important word in Scripture. And and quite honestly, this is just kind of a, a tangent, a side note for you and your Bible study. Anytime you're walking through the Scriptures and you see the word, therefore, go back and read the previous verses again. Because that word is basing what's about to be said on the verse that came just before it, verse or verses that came just before it. So every time, man, look for the therefores, look for the so's, and then dig into those. So this is the basis um, of what this verse of verses 2 and 3 say. So let's not miss it. If we neglect to read, neglect to understand, uh, then we will have no basis to stand on the statement that that verse is making. So I cannot come to you. In your moment of fear, in your moment of trouble, in your moment of crisis, and say to you, do not fear. Psalm 46.2 says, do not fear. So stop fearing. Because I've given you no basis on which to stand there. So we have to look at verse 1. We have to look at the basis on which we will not fear. Verse 1, God is our refuge. A very present help in trouble. You see, the Lord is the only refuge who is truly able to save us. Nothing else will do. And he is such a strong refuge that though all of this stuff happens, it's cataclysmic in nature, though all of it begins to come against us, Based on his refuge, we will not fear. See, he doesn't say you will not fear because you were in Awana as a kid. 
He doesn't say, you will not fear because you show up at the Sanctuary Fellowship every single Sunday, uh, because you give, or because you're really, good, uh, you're really good at memory verses, or because you tithe, or because you're just a really good Christian and everybody loves you. He doesn't say that. It has nothing to do with us. It's not we won't fear because we've practiced so much or whatever. We don't fear because God is our refuge. Yes. We will not fear because the earth, the mountains, and the sea are not our standards of safety. You see that? So, so, so many of us, and again, this goes contrary to our natural thinking. We, think, we see a mountain, we're going, that mountain is not going to move. We see the sea and we know, oh, there's borders more or less to that sea, that it's not going to destroy mountains. We, we, we are not going to have the earth just disappear underneath us. See, those are not our standards, because God says, even if all that happens, you will not fear. Our standard, the thing we stand on, the thing we hold fast to, is that God is our refuge. Everything in this world is movable. We need to understand that. Everything, even the thing that we find to be the most solid in our life, is movable. The only thing that is not movable is the Lord. He is our very present help. Literally, he is completely present with us in the middle of the storm. So as we dive into this psalm, I have to ask this question. Are you in him? Is he your refuge? Is he your very present help in times of trouble? Is he the one uh, where your heart is hidden and where your soul is sheltered? Is he the one that you've staked everything on? Or is it something else? Maybe you come in here and you come to church on a regular basis. You do good things, but you have a plan B. Let's just be honest. Can we be honest with, you, with each other? I mean, I, I fall in that category. So often I'm kind of going, yeah, he's probably going to take care of it. But just in case he doesn't, I'm going to have plan B. Just in case he doesn't pull through. See, that type of thinking, that, that's, that's Lloyd trading his van for a cruddy little kid's motorcycle. See, that's what the Lord looks at us. And when we come to him with our plan Bs, he's looking at us like Lloyd on a, on a, a motorcycle. Oh, get 70 miles a gallon on this hog. And it's ridiculous. Because we're putting our faith, we're putting our trust, trust we're putting our hope in, our, in, in something like this. And then we try and slug it out on our own. Or is your hope in some person who you think is not going to let you down. Let me blow your bubble here. Every person on the face of this earth is going to let you down at some point, whether by sin or by death, it's going to happen. Amen. Same thing for you. See, our hope has to be in something that can provide us with the safety that we need. See, God is our refuge, our strength, a very present help in trouble. But let me tell you this, listen, a refuge is not a safe place if you're straddling the threshold with the door open. When the waters come, when the storm rages, an open door is not going to shield you from the daily, daily, ugh, from the ensuing waters. There we go. You do that tongue, it's like, nope, not doing it. Then as a storm, listen to this, you're standing there in the refuge with the door open, and when the storm starts battering you, when it starts ravaging you, you become angry with the Lord, right? <laughs> Lord, this refuge is not no good. And he's looking at you going, you, you, you've got the door open. You've only got one foot in. Of course it's not going to be a refuge for you. So I don't know who that is in here who's insisting on doing it, doing it on their own terms. Our true security is only in the Lord, not the Lord plus something else. It's not Jesus plus your health or Jesus plus your spouse or Jesus plus your kids. It's Jesus. And I don't know who's in here who needs to hear that right now, but you know if it's you. You've watched it happen time and time again. Um, your faith is like a threadbare sweater that is barely clinging to your shoulders, and you're wondering if it's time to finally do away with it. And it's not these huge cataclysmic events like mountains being thrown into the sea that are rocking your world. It's much smaller things. 
and you hear this, you're saying, Matt, that's not possible. I, I can't even not fear when small things happen. Maybe it's because you're not a Christian or maybe because it's your, you're a Christian who's staking your hope somewhere else, if that's possible. Um, and you need to look to the Lord no matter who you are, where you are in that spectrum, and you need to say, Lord, I trust you. I'm going to let go. Um, there are all these things that bring fear into your heart. There's all these things that you're struggling with. Um, and ultimately, uh, if you would just surrender your heart to him, if you would just give everything to him, relinquish your death grip on your own control, um, and let go of these lesser refuges, then you'd find true refuge in the Lord. And I know that it's difficult, and quite honestly, it's probably, it is impossible. Let me go ahead and say that. It is impossible for you to do this on your own accord. That's why we need his spirit. And so if that's you, um, if you're the one who's sitting in here and you're kind of going, I've been trying this whole Christianity thing and it's not for me or it's not working or I'm still fearing. My question is, have you entered into the refuge of the Lord or are you just kind of hanging out around the outside of the gates? Maybe even you have the door cracked, but you haven't walked in. You haven't stepped over that threshold and given yourself completely to Jesus. Do it. What are you waiting on? See, it's, it's, it's going to be a little bit of a sloppy line of faith as well, right? Can we, can we go ahead and get that out of the way as well? Like, we're not, the people sitting around you, maybe you're looking at them and thinking, oh, that's a perfect Christian. No, they're not. There are no perfect Christians. There's a perfect Christ, Amen. and that's it. We're trying our best to try and follow him and trust him. It, it is going to be a, a journey. I, I think about the father with the sick child in the book of Mark. Um, and he comes to Jesus and he says, I believe. And he caveats it, help my unbelief. All of us, that's where we're at. That's where we live in Christianity. I believe, help my unbelief. This road is a journey of trusting the Lord and asking him to build this trust in you. But if we do not establish this first, if we do not have the conversation of who doesn't know Jesus in here, and if we don't say, follow Jesus, then the rest of this psalm means diddly squat to you. And there's words of hope, there's words of life in here, and they're going to mean nothing for you. The storm will continue to destroy you. The storm will continue to pound you on the rocks of life. So follow Jesus, please. God, follow Jesus. That's what I've been praying for. I'm like, Lord, who in here do you want to just bring to yourself and save? That they would step fully into your refuge. That they would have the hope and triumph in Christ and in Christ alone. Man, that's what I'm asking for. Um, as, as a side note, if you do pray to receive Jesus today, don't walk out of here without telling somebody. Come talk to me. Talk to Pastor Jimmy. Talk to one of our elders. Talk to someone. Because here's the other deal. A refuge is not just you hanging out in some bunker by yourself. The refuge of the Lord is in a family setting with other believers. So getting into life group and being connected to other people and, and having them spur you on and, and love you through the storm, right? Walk with you through the storm. That's one of the most amazing things about Christianity. That when the storm hits, and it will, you've got people that aren't going to bail on you. They're going to sit with you through the storm. They're going to hold you up through the storm. When the waters feel like they're going to choke the life out of you, they, they pull you up. So follow Jesus, please. So as we walk through this, here, here's the other, one of the big points I want to make here. If the Lord is not the Lord over your worst moment, then he's not the Lord at all. If the Lord is not the Lord over your worst moment, then he is not the Lord of all. For many of us, there are those deep, dark hurts, you know, the ones that are so devastating that we will not even allow the Lord to put his hands on it, much less look at it. It reminds me of when my boys get hurt. I don't know. I'm sure everybody else experiences this as a parent. When their kids get hurt, uh, what do they tend to do? They tend to grab the hurt, and they hang on to it. And my boys, at least, I'm saying, let me see it. And they're going, no, and they're wailing, and they're screaming, and, and they're not going to uncover this. You know, I'm having to, like, pry their arms away from it to see this injury. I, I feel like that's how we are with the Lord, that when we get hurt, we're going to clap our hands over it and cry and scream and hold it as tightly as possible and not let the Lord see it. And, and what we do is we try and cultivate this sanitized faith where we give God these small things, 
but we won't give him the big things, right? Like we'll say, oh, well, God, you can see the scratch on my knee, but I'm not going to let you see the gash in my heart. You can have the, the smaller things, but this one, I'm going to, I'm, I'm hanging on to this one. It would hurt too badly to uncover it. It would hurt too badly to expose it. Um, and we've all, m- many of us have experienced those, right? The loss of a loved one, health struggles, abuse maybe that you've experienced in the past. And please hear me, I'm not trying to minimize these things. I'm, I'm, uh, these, are, these are brutal, especially abuse and, and things like that. Brutal things, injustices that are perpetrated against people. But the, in- the injury is only magnified when we don't allow the Lord to have it fully. That's, that's further injury. The enemy is wanting you to do that. The enemy is saying, cover that up. You don't want the Lord to see that because he's going to think less of you or he's going to be looking down at you or whatever. And he, he keeps us in the dark places where the Lord is kind of going, come, come out to the light. Let me, let me see it. Let me heal it. So what do I mean when I say that uh, the, if the Lord is not the Lord over our worst moment, then he's not Lord at all. Uh, we need the Lord to be the Lord over our worst moment. And, and I don't mean that we will hand over our pain in some weird divine way and that it would no longer hurt us or that we would no longer struggle. Um, because I, I think it would be cruel to go to somebody who had been in a deep hurt and a deep pain and say, yeah, um, the pain will just disappear if you just hand it to the Lord, because that's not true. It's not true. It's, 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 it's a lie. What I'm saying is that when the Lord is the Lord over our worst moment, that we would allow the Lord to be in our worst moment with us, that he would enter into the pain with us. Do you believe that the Lord mourns with you? Do you believe that the Lord cries with you? See, the most painful moment, the Lord is wanting to be intimately with you. He's wanting to cradle you and to cry with you because you're his child. His heart hurts when we hurt. So to allow him to be Lord over those moments is to allow him to whisper into your ear that what has happened to you was wrong, but that he still has you in his hands, to let him apply the healing balm of his grace and his mercy to a wound that would otherwise fester. John Chrysostom, the bishop of Constantinople in the late 300s, said this, he does not prevent tribulations from coming, but he is at hand when they come, making us tried and tested, providing greater encouragement from the assistance than the pain from the tribulations. The assistance he provides us with, you see, is not simply as much as the nature of the trouble requires, but much more. Did you catch that? Much more. So there's an injury that's done to us. God doesn't come and just apply just enough balm to get you through that. It is grace upon grace. It is buckets of mercy that he pours out on us. And for us to stand in the dark and cover up those those deep hurts, those deep wounds, we miss the healing touch of the Lord. Listen, there are always going to be scars that are left from these moments, always. But the scars can tell the story of a loving, merciful father who brings redemption into our pain. It's going to be a struggle. Please don't ever let anybody try and convince you that just because you're a Christian, your difficult moments uh, in life will somehow not cause pain, um, or that somehow if you're still struggling that your faith is lacking or that you're not a good Christian or some other twisted junk. That is garbage. It is garbage theology. It needs to be dispatched from our thinking yesterday. We struggle because life is hard. We struggle because sin stinks and it ravages us. But God is good in the middle of all of that. The Lord of creation will enter into our suffering and sustain us as he endures it with us. 
See, allowing the Lord to be the Lord of your worst moment is to open up your hands, to offer it to him, and allow him to use that in your story of faith. That's the other thing. We don't like uncovering those moments because he's going to end up using it for in our story of faith, and we don't want to admit that that was a struggle, that that was a hurt, that that was a pain. And again, it's part of the exposing that. It's about full and complete surrender to him um, and that he will bring an end to all this brokenness that we endure at some point, but it's going to be after we uh, die and enter into glory. But until then, he's going to use your pain to author the story. So let's look at the second stanza. We spent a lot of time in the first. Second stanza, God is unaffected by the storms. Verse 4, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in her midst. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. See, notice, notice the stark contrast between the second stanza and the first stanza. I don't know if you caught that. In the first stanza, stanza, the waters are roaring and foaming. They're dashing mountains into pieces. And here, there's a river. It's running deep. It's running wide uh, with God's blessing and his presence. And as it does that, it brings joy and blessing to the city of God. If you think about uh, a storm... A storm comes, it batters the shore, but then it passes. But a river, a river continuously and constantly supplies water. So this, this, this river of God is this constant like uh, blessing of the Lord being ushered to his people. Um, it's always going to bring grace. It's always going to bring provision. In the first stanza, we had the mountains that are moved into the heart of the sea. But did you notice the city of God? It's immovable mountains get uprooted and tossed into the sea, but the city of God, firm, strong, will not move. This is yet another reason why the refuge that we find in the Lord is superior to any other refuge that we could possibly dream up. The only place that you're going to find, listen, the only place that you're going to find that is immovable, the only place that you're going to find that will not fail you, is in the city of God, in the refuge of God. It's in his presence. It's his presence that ultimately is the stabilizing force, right? So if the city of God didn't have the presence of God, it is now immovable. Or it is now movable. It is God's presence that makes this city immovable. So when the storms are raging, the Lord is the only one who's unaffected. His, his uh, walls to his city will never be broken. They will never be shaken. No matter how violently the storms rage, the Lord's dwelling place will not be moved. The other thing is the power of God's voice. You might be sitting here thinking, okay, Matt, that's all well and good. You don't know my situation. Uh, there are some people who are actively and aggressively trying to undo me. Okay, fair enough. Did you catch verse 6? The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. He utters his voice and the earth melts. What else did he do with his voice? Created everything. The voice of the Lord is powerful. It does not matter what is going on, what people are coming against you. Uh, when the Lord speaks... His voice undoes it all. Derek Kinder, who wrote a comment, uh, commentary on the psalm, said this, God's voice will be as, a, as decisive in dissolving the world as it was in creating it. With all the turmoil, with all the craziness, with all the chaos that's going, around us, going on around us, are we listening to the voice of the Lord or are we listening to the voice of the enemy? The voice of the Lord is strong and sure. The voice of the enemy is, if we listen to that, is going to throw us off. When we listen to the threats that are made against us, when we listen to what the enemy whispers into our heads, if we do that long enough, we start to believe it. And we start to live like that's true rather than what the word of the Lord is, what says to us. We begin to live as though we are not hidden in the safety of the Lord and that we're exposed. It would be, it would be a little bit like uh, if during Hurricane Harvey we found the most, you know, 
secure bunker that was waterproof and all of this. The winds aren't going to blow it down. And we're hiding inside of this bunker as the storm comes. But then somebody convinces us that this place is not safe and we step out of the bunker. See, we believed a lie and we left the safety. See, it does not matter what's happening around us. If we're trusting the voices of the enemy, if we're trusting the voices of the situation, and we're not listening to the voice of the Lord, we're going to step out of that refuge, step out of that shelter, and then we're going to be ravaged by the storm. Verse 7 talks about the Lord of hosts. Uh, The imagery that we're supposed to get here uh, is that the Lord is commanding legions of heavenly armies. Talking like angels without number. You can't even count them. There are so many of them. That's the Lord of hosts. What enemy can come against that? Are you dwelling there? Are you dwelling in the, uh, the lies of the enemy? See, the resources of the Lord will dwarf any force that comes against us. Next thing is that our pain, our struggle, our fear, all of these moments um, can produce a testimony in us that is ultimately um, going to have an incredible impact. I want you to consider something as it relates to the pain and struggles that you go through. When people observe you in the midst of, the, of your pain, what are they going to see? What are they going to see? When they see you with the storm raging all around you, what are they going to see? Will they see somebody who is being battered and tossed against the rocks, completely wrecked by life and almost giving up? Or are they going to see somebody who, in spite of the brutality of this world, maintains a hope in something bigger? See, when the worst thing happens, will you cling to him? Will you cling to his truth? Will this be the song of your heart helping you to process through the fear? Will he be your fortress? Will he be your refuge? Will he be your safe place? See, I don't necessarily like this, uh, but it is the story of somebody's faith in the middle of a living hell that will inspire others to take a look at Christ. Precisely why the church will experience unprecedented growth uh, in the middle of persecution. If you look at the church in China, what's happening there is unbelievable. And they're being persecuted. If we proclaim that you should follow Christ because everything is just fine, what's the reason to do that? Yeah, follow Jesus. My life's just pretty much just fine. It's good not inspiring to me. My life can be just fine if I chase money or women or job, whatever. See, I'm not interested in chasing things to the status quo of fine. Not to mention fine is a fairy tale. I remember about seven years ago, I was sitting in staff meeting with Pastor Joe and Pastor Jimmy. Um, Jimmy, I don't know if you remember this. this. This haunted me. About seven years ago, he, he, Joe made this statement, and I was so mad at him for making this statement. He said, God crushes his men. Do you remember that, Jimmy? That terrified me. I didn't want to be crushed. <laughs> I hated that because I didn't... It was hard for me to reconcile in my head how a loving God would do that, but then I'm faced with story after story through scripture, and then people around me, (laughs) who the Lord's crushing them, right? Find me a guy in scripture, a woman in scripture, who was used greatly by God, who was not to some degree crushed. And so it haunted me, literally, to this day, I can hear Joe's voice, the Lord crushes his men. And I was inside my voice going, no, no, not me. Not me. I didn't want to go through the ringer. But then I lost my brother in 2013. Crushed, right? Battered into pieces. But it was through this event that the Lord drew me into the deep waters of his grace And it was through this that he authored a story to the watching world that he is bigger than the most tragic thing that could happen in all of our lives. He's bigger. He proved to me that even after I lost somebody who was so 
close to me, so precious to me, that he would sustain me even through that. Not only this, but he used my brother's death to bring at least one person to faith at his service, at his funeral. Now there's a teacher's house in Uganda uh, that was built because my brother died, and it's housing teachers who are teaching at Destinyville, pouring Jesus into a bunch of children in Uganda. That's God's story, man. That's God who does that. So who knows how many people are going to be impacted because of this specific thing. Who knows how many people's lives are going to be transformed because my brother died. Doesn't this bring redemption and hope into an otherwise hopeless situation? Yeah, I'd want him to do it a different way. I'm not some weirdo who's looking for pain. None of us are. And you'd be stupid to go looking for that. But when it comes, when that moment of crushing comes, what's going to happen? Where is the redemption in the middle of the story? Because God is with you, Christian. Notice it also said the God of Jacob is your fortress. (laughs) Did we catch that moment there? The God of Jacob. What's Jacob's story? Jacob was trying to do it on his own his whole life. His name means cheat. He comes out gripping his brother's heel, doing everything on his own, doing everything in his own way. And then one night, he meets with God. And what happens? He wrestles with God all night long. And do you remember? Clinging on to him, bless me, bless me, bless me. The Lord touches his hip puts his hip out of socket, gives him a permanent limp. This is the God of our fortress. He will put your hip out of socket. He will send you limping through the rest of life to tell a story of his grace, of his mercy, of his redemption. And don't think for a second that God's Not going to do that because he's too nice. He's just that grandpa God who's handing out lollipops. He's handing out smackdowns in the octagon. (laughs) But he's doing it so that we can walk away with a testimony of how good he is. I guarantee you, as Jacob's walking through the rest of his life, limping, he's going to say, hey, let me tell you about this moment where I met with God. Which brings us to the third stanza. God will be exalted. Verse 8, come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease uh, to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. See, there it is again. Selah. See, this last stanza brings a truth that can never be challenged. God will be exalted. He will be. There is nothing in all of creation that is going to effectively overrule his glory. Nothing. It says to come and behold, to take a look and see what the Lord has done. He put an end to wars. He broke the implements of war so that wars could not continue. And you might be thinking, wait a second, he hasn't done that yet, which you would be correct. This passage is a vision of things to come. This word, come and behold, uh, is is almost like uh, uh, how a prophet would see, looking forward into what is not yet. Come and behold what God is doing. Sure, we experience a foretaste of this in the victories in our lives, those moments of victory where the Lord shows up, but we have not seen the fulfillment of all of it. Um, so, So the outcome of all the striving on this earth, no matter how difficult, no matter how big the struggles are, the Lord will bring peace. We will not struggle forever. We will find ultimate peace in his Refuge, Behold the works of our Lord, because there is no other person in all the creation that can accomplish what he can accomplish. Wars, battles, struggles, strife, pain, fear, abandonment, sorrow, loneliness, any other enemy will not continue to rage against us forever. 
The Lord has a simple and direct command for all of these things that are raging against us, and it's be still. See, many of us have taken this verse and, they, and we've either applied it to ourselves or somebody else has come to us in the middle of the storm and they've said, hey, uh, things are all going to pot, but you know what? You just need to be still. Just be still. Know that he's God. Thank you. That's not helpful. I appreciate that. I kind of knew. Still hurting here. You see, this is not a command to us, although there is some truth here. We, yes, we need to know that he's God. Yes, we need to be still before him. This is a command for our storms. This is a command to our pain. This is a command to the things that are raging against us. God says, be still and know that I am God. He's speaking to our enemies, guys. See, how cruddy would that be? If the Lord comes to us in our moment of pain, in our moment of hurt, and the best he has for us is, hey, just be still. No, he's rebuking those things that are bringing injury into our lives. Come and behold. Again, think, think about Jesus and the boat. The disciples are going, we're going to die. Jesus, what are you doing? You're sleeping. He stands up. What does he say? Quiet. Be still. Was he saying that to the disciples? That'd be kind of rude, right? What are you? Quiet. He said it to the storm, and the storm stopped. What's your storm? What's your tragedy? What's your hurt? Understand that the Lord is looking at that, and he's saying, shut up. Stop it. Does that bring you hope? That the thing that brings you the most pain, the Lord will look at that? with, I mean, think of him grabbing it by the throat and saying, stop it. Stop it. Our pain, while it's difficult, it is part of God's plan to exalt himself in our lives. When evil rears its ugly head, it's an opportunity for the Lord to show himself as more powerful. Let me be clear. The Lord does not bring evil into our lives. But when that evil, which is a result of sin and us walking away from the Lord, when that evil comes into our lives, is the Lord proves that no matter how bad it gets, he is still going to accomplish his will for your life. Can bring us peace to know that the worst enemy cannot thwart God's plan. The worst of the worst cannot stop what God is doing. He is our fortress if you're in him. Are you? Have you stepped inside or are you just outside the gate? One foot in. As we close and as we wrap up our time here, I want to really consider the ramifications of Psalm 46. What are those things that bring fear to your heart? Maybe they're just up here, or maybe they're very real. Maybe you're saying, Matt, here, here it is, right here. It's with me. It's with me all the time. What are those things? What are the things that you fear that have come to pass and what's been the result of that fear? How has that changed how you've lived? Has your faith been crushed and now you're believing the lies of the enemy versus believing the truth of the Lord? Do you need to spend time what it means to truly see the Lord as your refuge, as your dwelling place, as your mighty fortress? What about your belief system needs to change? Because ultimately that's what it's about, right? I believe, help my unbelief. There's some unbelief that I have inside my heart, inside of my head, that I'm not giving to the Lord. What wounds do you need to expose to the Lord to allow him to be Lord over that? We're going to have a moment where you can do your business with the Lord. Talk to him about that. Talk to him about that thing that brings you fear and let him speak authoritatively into your storm as he demands, be still you want somebody to pray with you, I'm going to be available. I'm, I didn't talk to the prayer team beforehand, but if you're part of the prayer team and you're available, if you just kind of make yourself available on the sides of the room, I want to give people an opportunity to pray and really process through some of that. Uh, so if you want to pray with somebody, um, I will be down on the side. We may have some prayer people uh, around the back, maybe sides of the room. Um, but whatever God is doing, would you obey? 
Stop obeying the storm. Stop obeying the enemy. Stop obeying the lies and obey what he's told you to do. Okay? So I'm going to pray. We're going to enter into a time of worship, um, and then we will close out our time. Father, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy in the storm. Thank you for the fact that you have not abandoned me to, um, to be lost in the storm. Thank you that you are our very present help in times of trouble. Thank you that you're my refuge. Thank you that you're the one that cares enough about me to draw me in and to protect me and to shield my heart, to tell my storms to be quiet, to cease. But God, there's some things I'm probably hanging on to, Lord, ways that I'm running out of your fortress, running out of your refuge. Lord, convict me of that. Draw me in and help me to confess that to you. Lord, this time is yours. As you feel led, come up, ask for prayer and worship.